faith. So we're going to start in Hebrews 11.8. We're going to start reading, and it says this. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. That's like every time I leave my house. But anyway, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You know, I get so excited about that particular scripture because it talks about how Abraham went forth and he lived in tents. In other words, he didn't build anything permanent. He didn't go in and and find some land and then build a city and build a tower and build a wall around him. He lived as a foreigner in the land that God had promised him. But then it says he was looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. He was content to let God build what God wanted to build. And he didn't decide to let his own insecurity cause him to build something else. He decided to wait and wait on God's timing. And that's why all of the promises came true. It's because he didn't just go to another land and say, okay, God, you promised me this land. Now I'm going to take dominion over it. He was obedient to God's timing. He was obedient to God's way. And sometimes God's way doesn't look like our way, does it? You know, I I thought Philip's joke about the marriage class was hilarious because can I just tell you, there's a lot of me to fix And if any marriage class had been able to give him the information to come home and fix me in one night, it would be worth going to. (laughs) Don't you feel that way, though, too? There's a lot of us to fix. And, you know, in, in marriage, I think especially, or in relationships, there's a temptation to try to build what we want to build and not pay attention to God's way. You know, there's a temptation to say that a soft answer turns away wrath is valid, but just not in marriage. Right? There's a temptation to say that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things is valid, but not in marriage. There's a temptation for us to try to take dominion, control, to force our own way because God promised me that I would live the abundant life so by golly, you're going to get in line with the abundant life that I have in mind. We can do that with our families. We can do that with our relationships. We can do that with our careers. You know, I have a promise that I'm going to be successful and we start knocking down doors instead of looking at the wisdom of of Proverbs that says, when you're diligent, you will be promoted. That says that we shouldn't be greedy or we shouldn't go after quick wealth because it'll destroy us. All of the wisdom of God's way. 
So many times we can forget that Abraham didn't just go into the promised land that God called him. He submitted to God's way once he got there. And what's amazing is that because he did that, he opened up a door for the most amazing legacy. Let's keep going. We're going to go to verse 13. All these people died still believing what God promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. See, the journey of faith is a journey of obedience and reliance on God as our source. And at its core, it is an identity issue. It's an identity issue. But, you know, you have to get in agreement with your identity, the identity that is provided to you. Now, if I walked up to you and said, guess what? You are actually the long-lost grandson of the king of England. And you are a prince. You are a princess. Well, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I say that. It doesn't matter what proof I present to you. It doesn't matter what identity is waiting for you until you get into agreement with that identity and say, yes, that is who I am. You can never take possession of the promise and the privilege that is attached to that identity. And that's what they did. They said, you know what? We used to have an identity. We were in this city where there were walls. We were in this city where there was a place for us. We were in this city. We were in this land that we could call our own. In fact, we'd been there long enough that we could call it our father's land. We were born there. We weren't immigrants. We were permanent residents. We were there. And yet, when we left, we were looking forward to another country. And God promised us a land. We went to where he told us, but then he told us to live as foreigners and to live as nomads, looking towards something better. And you know, God has given all of us promises here on earth, hasn't he? I mean, he has. God promises us love and joy and peace. He says that if we pursue him, that he'll put patience in our life. He tells us all kinds of wonderful things, that we're going to have an abundant life here on earth. But make no mistake, we are still foreigners and nomads here. And that should be what orients our thinking. Because if you are not of this earth, then your source is not of this earth. Then your identity is not of of this earth. It's not of this land. And you have something waiting for you. I have something waiting for me. You know, I love to travel. I love to travel. It's one of my favorite things. And, and one of the things I love is my passport. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm geeky about my passport. I will show you my first passport. I still have it. I love my passport. I just think it's absolutely the most fun thing in the world. But it's my identity. And when I'm in a foreign land, I know 
that even though I am there as a guest, I belong somewhere else. I have an identity that is somewhere else. I have an authority that comes from somewhere else. I have somebody else that is backing me up. It's not much of a backup, but still, it's a backup. Because you still are subject to the laws of the country you go visit. I just feel like I should mention that because I was in law school, and this is a total aside, but this is hilarious because these people are lawyers now, okay? And so the, in my first year class, um, they said, what happens if you get in trouble for stealing in Spain? And one of them raised their hands and said, well, the Bill of Rights applies to me because I'm an American. And I was like, you are so stupid. No, no. But anyway, I didn't say that out loud. You go to jail, so... That is what happens. I have no idea what I was talking about. But anyway, when your identity changes and you get in agreement with what your identity really is, that's going to change your mindset and your emotions. It really is. If I told you today that you were an heiress or you were an heir to a fortune, it would change the way that you act, the way you carry yourself. And when we realize that no matter what our earthly family has been like, no matter if we've had an incredible family of origin or we've had a terrible family of origin, no matter if, if we wish that we had been born into a different family or we wish everybody had been born into our family, it does not matter. We still have an identity that goes so far beyond that. And what's so interesting is that sometimes we think that that is a Christian principle, but that's a God principle. Whenever you decide that you're going to put your faith and your obedience in the hands of God, he gives you an identity. And that goes all the way back to Abraham. Because God gave him this new identity when he decided to walk in obedience. We can go to verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And then verse 20, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, last time we talked about Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. In fact, um, historians tell us that he's the father of three faiths. He's the father of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. He is a very, very pivotal person in history and in literature. And so last time we talked about the different um, times in Abraham's life and how a lot of times we just focus on this last part that was in the verse where Abraham's asked to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and God provides an alternate sacrifice. And so we often think about that as kind of the, the key moment in Abraham's life. And yes, it was an incredibly key moment in Christianity, a key moment in history, but it was an act of obedience in a long line of acts of obedience, the key to Abraham's life was that he believed that obedience was better than sacrifice. In other words, following God's way was more important than doing things his way. 
So when God asked him to leave his town, he left. When God asked him to worship, he worshiped. When God asked him to circumcise, he circumcised. And so finally, when he asked him to sacrifice, he sacrificed. And so, of course, Isaac is not sacrificed. He is saved. There's a ram in the bushes, and an angel stops Abraham and says, don't kill Isaac. You can kill the ram instead. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture but Isaac. So today we're going to talk about Isaac. The Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we know that Isaac is so important. So here are just a few facts about Isaac's life. The first is this, is that he was the second son of Abraham. Now Isaac was the son of the promise, but he was the second son of Abraham. Because Abraham had been promised that he would be a father of many, many nations, right? But Sarah, his wife, got afraid and asked him to take on a concubine. And so Abraham bore Ishmael from this concubine and created um, a very, very, very uh, difficult family, family dynamic for himself. And after um, a while, when he was 100 years old, we see him bear um, Isaac, and so we have Isaac and Ishmael, and then Sarah makes Abraham send Ishmael away. So one of the very first things that happens in Isaac's life is his big brother gets banished. Now I want you to imagine this just for a moment. If, if a child's about two years old, they said it was around the weaning time, which was about two years old, somewhere between two and, and I think they say four and a half or five, so just depending. Okay, during the weaning time, and, and the older brother that has always been in your life is suddenly gone. And not just that, but we have to remember that he sent Hagar away too. So Ishmael's gone, Hagar's gone, but you're left in the camp where Ishmael had friends, where Hagar had friends, and you grow up in an environment where you know that the first son was sent away. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that would create a little bit of insecurity in my life. It doesn't matter how many times you explain it. You're a small child, and there's been a loss in the family. There's been a loss in the family. And I think that explains a little bit about the rest of Isaac's life and how important family ends up really being to him. So he was the second son of Abraham. He was the only son of Sarah. So he was the only child of Sarah. And then he's the father of twins, Jacob and Esau, and the husband of Rebekah. And we're going to actually talk about that part of his family a little bit later. His name means he laughs. His name means he laughs. He was named after his parents' moment of doubt. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever feel like sometimes the bad moments that came before you have labeled you for the rest of your life? Uh, anybody had a nickname in high school? Anybody? No, none of you had nicknames. None of you had friends. Okay, great. Um, I had a nickname. It was Density. It really was. My physics teacher gave it to me. Which makes it kind of funny, right? Because density, phys anyway, whatever. But it was density. 
And, and you know, I thought, that was, I thought that that was really funny at the time, but you know that there's been times I've looked back on that and I thought, I really was. I, I, could, I, I was awkward. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to relate to people. I wasn't, there was so, that fit. And we can take the moments of our failures and our awkward moments and we can put them on labels for the rest of our life, can't we? So Isaac's walking around with this name that means he laughs. And this is the moment of his parents' doubt and yet he is the child of promise. He's the child of promise named for his parents' doubt. And there's some important events. I mean, you know, once again, his older brother was sent away then he's sacrificed by his father. Okay. All right. Now, now we, we look into church history, and it just depends on which side of the fence you're on, but a lot of people agree that he was probably about 37 at this point. 37 years old. Not a child. 37 years old. This is the father who sent away his older brother. Okay? This is the father who talks to God, but Isaac doesn't talk to God. This is that guy. And and notice that Abraham doesn't bring Sarah with him. He goes alone. In fact, some people believe that Sarah died thinking that Isaac had been sacrificed. That's what some people believe. Because the way that the, 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 the historical facts all work out. Because Abraham was not with Sarah whenever she died. It says that Abraham went to where she was when she died. And so there's a lot of people who believe that that means that Sarah must have died while they were still on the mountain. Okay, so, and yet Isaac's 37, older. Abraham's 137, Let's just figure this out. Does a 37-year-old guy have the advantage over a 137-year-old guy? And yet, Isaac submits. Isaac submits to his father. And there's no indication that it's because he trusts his father. But through the rest of his life, we see that he trusts God. He trusts God. And he says, Dad, if you tell me that God told you to do this, then I'm with you. What an incredible, incredible, incredible faith to say, I trust you. I trust you to be my provider. And that's what happened. Isaac was Sacrificed by his father, but he was saved by God. God wasn't just the provider of another sacrifice for Abraham. He was the provider of another sacrifice for Isaac. He was his provision. And throughout the rest of Isaac's life, he would remember that. God provided Isaac a wife. It's an absolutely beautiful story, and we're going to talk about it next week when we talk about Jacob, because it has a lot to do with Jacob. But um, it's an absolutely beautiful story. It it really seems like a love story. You know, they they fall in love at first sight, kind of from from the Bible account. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. But then he has kids, 
He prefers, he prefers the older one to the younger one. He has a favorite. You shouldn't have favorites. I have a favorite. Carolina Lee's my favorite, but don't tell anybody else. Okay. That's actually true. So, um, Anyway, <laughs> he's the only one whose name didn't change. Isn't that interesting? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham's name was originally Abram, and then it changed to Abraham. Isaac's name stays the same. Jacob's name was Jacob, but then it was changed to Israel. But Isaac's name stays the same. He's also the only one who doesn't leave Canaan. See, Abraham came into Canaan, and then there would be a famine, and he would run to Egypt, or he would run somewhere else, and he would leave, and then he would come back. And Canaan was the land of promise. Jacob left the land of promise, but Isaac never ever, ever left. He was just steady. He was just the guy who believed God. He was just the one who said, I'm going to trust God no matter what happened. He was the only one who was faithful to his wife. He had no concubines. Abraham didn't just have Hagar as a concubine. Abraham married other concubines after Sarah was dead and had a ton of children. I was just reading that today, and I was like, how did I miss this? I mean, this is important, you know? He's the only one who didn't have concubines. He was the only one who was faithful completely to his wife. But the thing that he's probably known for the most is that he dug wells, is that Isaac dug wells. He redug wells that his father Abraham had dug, and then he dug new wells. Wells. And these wells tell us so much about our faith, but they also tell us so much about relationships. And so those are just a few of the wells that I want to go through. If we go to Genesis 26 and you start in verse 1, this is what happened when a severe famine struck the land, as it happened before in Abraham's time. Isaac moved to another part of Canaan, Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and he said, don't go down to Egypt like your dad did. But do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land and I will be with you and bless you. I will confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. Verse 5, I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Verse 12, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. God did exactly what he promised for Isaac. See, God had been a provider in Isaac's life from the very beginning. For the first place, Isaac was already the provision in Abraham's life. He was the promise. And you know, God gives each of us different promises, doesn't he? But sometimes we can get the promise and forget that if God provided the promise, he'll provide for the promise. If God provided what you always wanted, he'll also provide for that dream. He'll also provide for that calling. He'll also provide for that mission. You know, that's easy for me to forget if I just am perfectly frank. You know, God has given us such an incredible promise in this community. 
this is a promise that, that has been birthed not just in Philip and I's life, but in so many people's lives. And, and really, I can forget that God will provide for the promise. And I could start to worry and carry the burden of trying to provide for the promise on my own. What promise has God given you? Are you starting to fear that he's not going to provide for the promise? And what's so interesting is instead of just saying, hey, look, just trust me and I'll bless you. Instead, he says, live here as a foreigner in this land and I'll bless you. He goes back to that identity thing. Depend completely on me and I will bless you. Do it my way. Be who I've called you to be in the midst of the land. Don't be like everybody else, and I will bless you. And so what does Isaac do? Isaac takes what's in his hands, and we all have something in our hands, right? And he plants it. And when he plants it, and he trusts God in the middle of a famine, God gives him a hundredfold. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that in a famine, tenfold would have been good. But it wasn't tenfold. It was a hundredfold. And God made him wealthy in the midst of the famine. Now, Christianity is not some get-rich scheme, but God promises us prosperity even in the midst of famine. He promises us that we will have more than enough, that we will be in a prosperous state of our soul and our mind and our body, even when there is famine around us. And this is one of the first examples of that in the Bible, where everything around him was having trouble, but in the land of Canaan, in his promised land within the promised land, right, God was still blessing him. Such a beautiful picture of what happens when we decide to just simply obey him. And you know, we don't always have to assert our rights because God provides for the mission that he calls us to. And so it says in verse 14 that Jake, that Isaac acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. And he acquired all of those because he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted in the middle of a famine. So what could he then do? He could sell all of that grain and the people in the land needed it. So even though he was acquiring wealth, he was also providing for the people around him. And God blesses us to be a blessing. God doesn't just bless us for us. He blesses us to be a blessing. And so verse 15, it says, because they were jealous, the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. And these were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. So Isaac prospers in the midst of famine. The people who are not prospering become incredibly jealous, and they begin to fill up his wells. And back then, you couldn't live without water. I mean, your flocks would die, your crops would die, you would die. You, you can't live without wells. You can't live without water now either. But you couldn't live without these wells. They were, the, they were the heartbeat of the community. You had to have these wells. And so the Philistines thought, we know your source. It's these wells. So you know what we're going to do? 
we're going to cover up your wells. And then all of this blessing, it's going to go away. And this is what I love. So, after he gets ordered out of the town by Abimelech, Isaac moves. He just moves to the Gerar Valley. He sets up his tents. He settles down. And he reopens the wells that his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in. So he had some wells that were open, all right, that his father had dug. And the Philistines said, that's your source, so I'm going to fill those in. And Isaac, instead of fighting, instead of asserting his rights and saying, no, God Almighty has said that this land is my land, so I'm going to fight for it, he remembered who he was. And he said, no, I'm supposed to be a foreigner in this land. I'm going to do this God's way. And so he just moves over here. And what does he find? He finds that there are wells already prepared for him in advance. And all he has to do is redig the wells that had been covered up before. And then what happens? In verse 19, it says that they dug in the Gerar Valley and they discovered a well of fresh water. And then the shepherds come over from this area, and they claim the spring. They say, nope, this is our water. So Isaac's men dug another well, and there's a dispute over it. And so they abandoned that well. And Isaac moved on, and he dug another well. And what is he doing? He's just saying, that well isn't my promise. It's the guy who created the water that's in it that is my promise. And if I have to move my path, my promise still doesn't change. And people can divert us off of the path that we think we're on, but they cannot touch the promise that God has given us. We may have a detour, but we have not had a defeat so important that we understand that, that Isaac was a man who trusted God to provide, and that he trusted God to provide every single time that he came against opposition. I've seen people whose companies have been stolen. I've seen people who's had um, wealth taken away from them, who've had terrible things happen, and yet who trusted God. And instead of walking away from what they had, looking back and going, ah, oh, that was it. That was supposed to be the provision. Man, they're looking ahead, going, you know what? If God could provide that well, if I could have that, then God can provide again and again and again and again. And what happened? This last well that he dug, he called it, open space. And he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. And you only get to more than enough when you believe that there is more than enough. You only get to more than enough when you believe that there is more than enough. You know, you can see this even in the secular environment. I lo Philip listens to every podcast, you know, under the sun. But I was listening to one the other day. And this is what the guy said. He said, you know, 
He goes, I have had more businesses fail than most people have because I've started more businesses. He says, but every time I had a business fail, I never saw it as meaning that I shouldn't do what I've been called to do. Instead, I just saw it as there's something else for me to do. There's someone else for, and I think that happens to us. We talk to one person at our job about Christianity, and they give us an eh response, or maybe they give us an uh response, or they give us some response that we interpret as not being good, right? And we stop, and we don't keep going, not realizing that maybe God has other wells for us to dig. Maybe God has other things for us to do. Maybe God just wants us to keep moving and keep walking, to treasure the things of the past, but to look forward to the faith and to the promises of the future. I don't believe that our best days are behind us. I don't believe that we've passed the golden age of Christianity in America. I don't believe that we've seen the extent of the miracles that he's going to do in Shreveport Bossier, I believe that the best is yet to come. But if we are going to be people of the best is yet to come, we have to be people who believe that our provider has already gone in front of us and that we don't have to hold on to what we used to have to get to what we need to go to. He wasn't afraid to walk away from the provision of today. Instead, he relied on the promise of tomorrow. You know, if you go down to verse 26, we see this this thing kind of turn all the way around. It says that King Abimelech, who remember, he's the guy who said, get off of our land. You've gotten too powerful for us. You need to get out. So King Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor and his army commander, And he asks Isaac this. He says, why have you come here? And I like Isaac's answer because he just seems like a straightforward guy. He says, you obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. So he says, you know, you're asking me why I'm here. Well, I'm here because you hate me. And, you you know, that's obvious because you kicked me off your land. And then they replied, We can plainly see that the Lord is with you, so we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us, just as we've never troubled you. We've always treated you well, and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. You know, what we sometimes see as hatred may just be fear. That response from that person that we tried to share with, that we interpreted as they're just, they're just awful. They're just evil. They're just, they're just this. They're just that. We, we can't see inside of people's hearts. All we can do is just be faithful to obey and faithful to obey. Now, Isaac, I, I think he had it wrong. From everything else that Abimelech said, it doesn't look like they drove him off the land because they hated him. It it looks like they drove him off the land because they were afraid of him. They were afraid of what God was doing in his life. But when they watched him from afar and they saw how differently he lived and how he lived on faith and how he lived really believing 
that God was going to provide for each and every step. After they had watched him go from well to well to well and not fight and not assert his rights and not say, no, that's the only thing God's ever going to do for me, so I have to cling to it with all my hands. No, he just kept going and he kept going. After they had watched him, they came after him and they said, you know what? We want peace with you. We want to have a covenant with you that says that we will not hurt each other, that we will live in peace. That's amazing. That's amazing. People who were once stronger than him, and really, if we're going to be honest, probably still were stronger than him. I mean, he's a king of a whole people. And he's talking to a nomad. doesn't matter how wealthy he is and how many servants he is. He's a king, fortified town, all army commander. Isaac doesn't have an army commander. And yet he's coming to him and he's recognizing that there is something greater in Isaac than there is in his town and in his armies. Our obedience will do in our relationships more than any aggressiveness will ever do. Sometimes we think that we have to confront and we have to hurt and we have to do all kinds of things. And sometimes God just wants us to continue to be obedient and to have trust in him and to believe that he's going to provide for us. And it will be our example of just living differently and living in faith that will bring even the most hardened opponents of who we are to us looking for something looking for peace. You know, we're surrounded by a whole world that's looking for peace, aren't we? And sometimes it, it, can, be, it can be daunting. And we can want to be like Abraham. We want to be like, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to be like Abraham, right? Call me to a new land, you know? Going, right, you know? And you go into the new land expecting rainbows and you get circumcision. Everybody wants to be Abraham, the pioneer. Everybody wants to be Jacob. I mean, he's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know? But we can all be Isaac. We all need to be Isaac. You know, I love that it says that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And all of us have to find in our lives that space where we just stay in the land. We just stay. There's a famine. The environment's not the best. There's greener grass. There's nicer people. There's an easier path. We're just going to stay in the land. We're going to work hard. We're going to take what's in our hand and we're going to put it into the ground and believe that God's going to bless it. But then when people try to take from us, We're going to remember that God is our provision. And we're going to live that life of faith, believing that our best days are ahead of us, that God has more wells to be dug, that God has more places for us to go, that God has more, understanding that it's God's will to bring the whole world back to him. He wants to reconcile the whole world with him. He wants peace with every heart. And yet so often he uses our example, our example to be the witness, our example when we choose to stay when the marriage is difficult, 
Our example, when we choose to love, when it would be easier to retaliate at work. When we choose to cover instead of being mean or vindictive. When we choose to let it go. When we choose to follow God's way instead of our way. So many times God will use our example to bring the very people who tried to hurt us back to him. To bring the very people who tried to steal from us back to him. To bring the very people that are least likely to come back to him back to him. And you know, that's the legacy of Isaac. What's so interesting is that that's not even what it says about him in the hall of fame, of faith, that's in Hebrews 11, which is where we started. In fact, this is what it says about him in that particular verse. It says that it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. That's what it says. I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, that is amazing. I mean, you know, can you imagine you sit your kids down, you're in a tent. I mean, you're wealthy, but you're in a tent. You've got two sons, and you tell them from the time they're little, you guys, your grandfather and I, we were promised that we would be the fathers of a great nation. And that's who you are. And then blessing them and telling them that that's who they are, even though he couldn't see any evidence of it. But would you expect anything less from the guy who God had always provided for? Would you expect anything less? I mean, that's not, that wasn't even hard for Isaac. I mean, God had provided a sacrifice for him. And then God had provided every single step of the way. So when it came time to pass the promise down, to the next generation, because that's what it's always about with God. God's always about the next generation, from cover to cover. It's about the next generation. But when it came time to pass the blessing down to the next generation, of course, Isaac and Faith was able to speak to their destiny and say, you know what? The God that provided for me is going to provide for you. The God that gave me an identity will give you your identity. The God that blessed me is going to bless you. And that's why we can confidently look at our next generation. That's why we can confidently look at those who've just come to the faith. And we can say, you know what? Let me just go ahead and tell you, it's not always going to be the glamorous moment. It's not always Always going to be the thing that gets three different paragraphs in the Hall of Fame. Sometimes it's just one sentence of I stayed in the land, I was faithful, I was an example, and I passed my faith to the next generation. I made sure that there was a bridge between Abraham and Jacob. I made sure that there was continuity between the time that he called me out of the old land and when he brought me into the new land. I made sure that the promise was carried. And each of us have that opportunity to be an Isaac, to say, God is my provider. You know, I think about Isaac being the promise himself. And you know that each of us are also a promise because in Christ, we're all new creatures. God has created us to share in the inheritance 
of Christ. We are all created as new creatures. And if God started this thing, well, actually, he says it better in the New Testament. He says, whatever God has started in you, will he not be faithful to finish it? He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He's the provider from day one all the way to the end. And all we have to do is just choose to live every day knowing that it's not the well stealers that have the power, but it's the God that provides the water for the well. Will you stand with me? Let's just pray. We just close your eyes for just a second. I hope that you learned something about Isaac that you didn't know before tonight. I, I hope that it, it, it helped you on your quest to know more about the Bible. I hope that with all of my heart. But more than that, I hope that it encouraged you to know that no matter how many well stealers there have been in your life, no matter how many times the plan has been diverted, that there is still a promise and that God's provision is in front of you. 